It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. I'm Mark Feinsand, executive reporter for MLB.com. Welcome to the Executive Access Podcast. Andrew Friedman joined the Dodgers in October of 2014 as the club's president of baseball operations, parlaying a successful run with the Tampa Bay Rays into an opportunity with one of the most storied franchises in sports. In Friedman's first three seasons in Los Angeles, the Dodgers have won three straight divisional titles, been to two National League Championship Series, and won last year's NL pennant before falling in the seventh game of the World Series to the Astros. The Dodgers' 591 winning percentage in those three seasons is the second-best three-year run in Los Angeles' history, behind only a 603 mark from 1961 to 63. I had a chance to sit down with Friedman to discuss his childhood love of box scores, how he made the move from business career to baseball, how a name change helped turn the Devil Rays from a laughing stock into a contender, why he believes that at one point he was the worst general manager in professional sports history, and why he doesn't think he'll ever get over last year's Game 7 loss. Enjoy this conversation with Dodgers President of Baseball Operations, Andrew Friedman. Andrew, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Grew up in Houston. Family had Astro season tickets, went to a whole bunch of games. Were you dreaming of being in the majors like every other kid? For sure. Um, you know, I, uh, as far back as I can remember, would go to as many games as I could. And, you know, summers of when I was eight, nine, ten years old, a lot of kids went to summer camp and I went to the Astrodome. Uh, as many games as I possibly could. Um, had very strong thoughts about playing in the big leagues and, you know, played every chance I had. And when I got to college, I think was the first time I realized, wow, everyone's really good. <laughs> I might need to think about alternate uh, career paths here. I know kids listening to this aren't going to even know what we're talking about, really. But uh, used to wake up and study box scores every morning as a kid. I did, too. Uh, what was it about a baseball box score that kind of fascinated you? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know if I can put my finger on it. Um, but I loved going back through the games from the night before and almost like telling the story of what happened in the game through the numbers and trying to figure out, you know, the sequencing of different things. And, um, it's probably because we couldn't see them all also. We hadn't seen exactly. all the games. We hadn't seen the highlights on our phones because, you know, our phones were push buttons and attached to the wall. Exactly. <laughs> I used to, uh, my dad would watch uh, Sports Centers right when Sports Center came out. And I used to leave uh, an audio tape next to the TV and record it, get up in the morning, and at least be able to listen to the highlights of all the games. Wow, how about that? You followed your dad's path, played college ball, Tulane, injuries, sidetracked your career there. Your father said, as a kid in college, your uniform was always dirty. Figuratively speaking, has that been the approach you've taken to front office jobs? Um, yeah, and sometimes literally as well. Um, no, but I mean, my mindset and approach is, you know, I always feel like anything and everything is an opportunity. And um, it's about, you know, trying to, you know, make the best out of a situation, whether it's a struggling player and trying to see the silver lining and how to, you know, view it through the glass half full perspective. And therefore, that requires some work and 
Um, but it's that kind of grinding or going through trade stuff and really digging uh, on players is stuff that I really enjoy doing. You got your bachelor's in management, concentration in finance, went into a financial career. Two years at Bear Stearns, an associate at Midmark Capital, which is a private equity firm, and then you met Stu Sternberg. How did your entry into baseball sort of first come about? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about how they got lucky. Um, mine is literally the case. Um, I worked at Bear Stearns with a guy, uh, Duke Poonhong, who went to high school with Matt Silverman. Um, and so they lived together in New York, and I got to know Matt a little bit. And Matt worked at Goldman Sachs. And Stu Sternberg's options trading firm was bought by Goldman. He had a year lockup where he had to work there. Matt randomly got assigned to work with him. And near the end of that year, Stu said, hey, I'm really thinking about getting involved with buying a baseball team, and I'd love for you to work with me on it. Matt said, great. Also know a guy, Andrew, who played in college, really passionate about it. He sent letters to you know all 30 teams all the time, and um, you know, I think you should meet him as well. And uh, played hooky one day from work and went out to Rye. And Matt, Stu, and I sat around and talked for a long time about baseball and, um, you know, kind of sat sidecar uh, as he was going through the um, agreement to, to buy the Devil Rays at the time. Um, and it got to that point, he said, look, at that time, I think his four kids were 13 and younger. And he said, I've got four kids, 13 and younger. Matt, I want you to moved down to Tampa Bay and you know learn the business side and Andrew love for you to move down to Tampa Bay and learn the baseball side as much as you can uh, and so Matt and I moved down there and kind of immersed ourselves in the devil race so you do that no experience in baseball in terms of front office or, or any sort of professional you go down there as a director of baseball development for two seasons get promoted eventually did your friends and family think initially you were crazy to be doing this yeah for sure I mean you um, had a good good career path going where right. you were yeah I think uh, fortunately I was at a time in my life where I didn't have any responsibilities I wasn't married didn't have kids um, so it allowed for me to think a little bit more selfishly um, you know leaving the private equity firm uh, at that time they're like hey we'll make you a partner uh, and that's when my dad um, you know, thought I was a little bit crazy. Um, but it was something I was really passionate about. I would have had a lot of life regret had I not taken that plunge and just given it all I had and kind of see how it played out. A couple of the people I've spoken to who had similar sort of business to baseball backgrounds said they kind of figured that if that job was there for them then, then two years from now they could find another finance job if they needed to. So. I guess that makes sense. You get promoted to executive VP of baseball operations and general manager after the 2005 season. You're 28 years old. Most GMs have at least worked their way through several years in a front office. You've been in the big game for two years, I think, at that point, or not maybe two seasons. Um, did you feel you were ready for that no, job? I did not. To take your time to think about it. Yeah, no, I did not. <laughs> I was, I was terrified. Um, Stu called me and said you know, I want you to do this. And I said, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm definitely not ready. Um, I'll help you. I'll vet candidates. I'll dig around. I'll arm you with everything you need to know um, as much as I can. Um, but I'm not ready. And he said, look, uh, you know, I have come to rely on you in these two years. And you're the person I go to when I have baseball questions. It wouldn't be fair if I hired someone and then still went to you 
on questions. And I expect you to make mistakes, but I'll bet on you that you'll learn from them. Um, and I said, look, I really appreciate it, but I'm not ready. He said, think about it for two weeks, I'll call you back. Thought about it, talked to friends and family, uh, called me back and I said, look, I appreciate it, but I'm really not ready. And he basically was more forceful and, you know, again, just said, I expect you to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. I encourage you to make mistakes. I will bet on you and believe in you that you'll learn from those mistakes. And so I ended up doing it and, you know, through two seasons, it was not lost on me that I felt, you know, I guess, objectively was probably the worst general manager in professional uh, sports history. <laughs> but it, it seems like that would that's the perfect sort of setting to be able to do that I and mean, to have an owner who says to you, I expect you're going to be able to, you're going to make mistakes, to be with a franchise with no winning history that had essentially been in last place almost every year since it came into the league. It's almost like if you're going to go through a training ground of, you know, sort of feet to the fire, the expectation level was so low that you could try different things. Is that kind of what, how you approached it? No, I mean, rationally, I agree. Um, but just emotionally, when you're sure. in it, that's not the, you know, you're, you're not thinking that rationally. Uh, and also, I wanted to do this as my career and felt like if I fell on my face that I'd never get another opportunity and wanted to be you know, ultra prepared for the first time that I was going to do it. And I definitely was not when I started kind of drinking out of a fire hose. Um, but, you know, just the people that I worked with, that environment, you know, Stu, um, you know, it was just the perfect kind of back and forth and working environment for us all to thrive. Early in your career, there was a huge perception that you were just a numbers guy, period. Analytics guy, Wall Street business, the whole thing. Uh, but you would go on scouting trips with Mark Braun. You'd pick Jerry Hunsaker's brain. Jerry once said he wanted to take the best nuggets from the traditional aspect of baseball and incorporate it with other ways to skin the cat. Do you think the whole idea that you were analytics ruled the day uh, was overblown? Uh, for sure. But it's not a narrative I got caught up in much. Um, you know, what I care about is the people that I work with and that dynamic. And you know, I think everybody that, uh, that I work with understands and appreciates, you know, the things that I value and how we kind of go about uh, making decisions. And, you know, for me, information is king. And information gets to the objective information. It gets to subjective information. It gets to digging on guys' makeup, their aptitude, uh, you know, the skills, um, you know, the tools, you know, all those various aspects are critically important when trying to evaluate a player, and especially when you're trying to project on a player. Um, so, you know, it's something I haven't really gotten caught up in, but I do find it amusing. One of your first major decisions with the Rays, or Devil Rays, I guess still at the time, uh, late 2005, managerial search. You have Joe Girardi, who was considered the favorite, I believe, at the time. At least the perception was that he was the favorite. Alan Trammell, Bobby V, Mike Schmidt, a lot of names out there. What was the biggest factor in hiring Joe Madden at the end of that process? Um, yeah, I think a lot of it came from his extensive background uh, in player development. Um, you know, for us to be successful, for us to turn the corner, you know, we had a lot of really talented young players that we needed to continue to develop at the major league level. Um, you know, that coupled with someone that was intellectually curious um you know was something that we're really high on our 
list of things that we were trying to kind of check off through this process. And uh, we met with Joe the first time in Houston, uh, and he came in incredibly prepared, uh, really thoughtful about our guys. And obviously, having not been around him, didn't have as much information, but just the way his mind worked and what he questions he was asking, and um, you know, just felt strongly that from you know, the continuing of our guys from a player development standpoint, coupled with kind of how his mind worked, that it would be um, a really good marriage between our front office and the dynamic he would establish in the coaching room, coaches room. The Devil Rays had lost 90 games or more in each of their first 10 seasons in the majors. What was the key to that 2008 turnaround? Um, you know, there were a lot of things kind of under the surface in 07 that um, when we got to the end of the year, and as you always do, you kind of assess the previous season and then kind of look ahead. Um, you know, that year, I, feel, I, I think in 07, uh, we led the league in strikeouts, our pitchers, uh, but also gave up the most runs. And it was really clear to us that uh, our defense was a major liability um, and was a very real limiting factor in us preventing more runs and so that was a huge focus for us that offseason. We did the Delman Young trade where we got Jason Bartlett at shortstop. Evan Longoria comes up, plays third. Iwamura moves from third to second. Carlos Pena, obviously a very gifted defender at first. So in 2007, our infield defense was among the bottom in baseball. And just like that, we were top three in baseball. Um, and then obviously we had some real athleticism in the outfield. Um, and I think just converting batted balls into outs, coupled with our ability to miss bats, was a huge part of the swing uh, in terms of our run prevention. Um, and then obviously we did some things on the offensive side um, as well. And you know, I think we kept what was good about 2007 and were fortunate enough to kind of pull off some dramatic overhauls in areas that weren't as good. I know it didn't directly impact anything on the field, but you also changed the name of the team that year from Devil Rays to Rays. Why, why was that important for the franchise besides the dollar that you charged or, or billed sports writers every time <laughs> that uh, they mistakenly referred to you as the Devil Rays in the, in the paper? I still have one of those letters from Matt Silverman in my house. <laughs> and I did pay the dollar. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was just really a rebranding. Um, if you look back at, you know, since the Devil Rays existence to that point, obviously there weren't, uh, any uh, defining moments and real, you know, periods of any kind of success to hang our hat on, and it was really just hitting the reset button. Um, and I do think that that helped from a mental standpoint, even with our players. Um, you know, just coming in with completely d new look, new uniforms, you know, kind of a new name. Um, you know, it allowed us to kind of talk about things in a way more positive way. You know, the most games that a Devil Race team had won was 70 games. And we start 2008 fresh, you know, new name um, that I think really resonated with, with our guys in the clubhouse. You ended up getting to the World Series that year. You win a seven-game series in the ALCS against the Red Sox, who were the defending world champions at the time. Uh, what stands out to you when you think back to Game 7 of the Trop? Um, it's funny because um, when I got to the end of that year, uh, I think we were sometime in November, I had very good recall of like a game on May 20th against the Oakland A's. And I can tell you what happened in that game for the most part. 
Game seven, I wasn't positive what the final score was, <laughs> and I wasn't positive how we scored. I remember very well um, us talking about Pedroia before the game and how Pedroia struggles against change-ups and talking about you know right-on-right change-ups. And so we were talking about you know matchups and things of how we can kind of exploit that. And I guess Deanna Navarro either took that to mean that it applied to Matt Garza or somehow it got to Matt Garza because the second hitter of the game, Matt Garza threw Pedroia right on right changeup and Pedroia hit a home run. Um, it just so happened that it was Matt Garza's fourth pitch by a lot. Right. Um, and so it did not apply to Matt Garza in which we were talking about it. And so I remember being irate. And then from that point on, it was a crazy game and so many different things that I didn't have that good a recall of exactly what happened and how we scored. So it took me going back and watching it to remember it all. That's funny. Uh, the World Series was certainly unique in its own way, including the two-day rain delay. I assume the rain delay is what stands out most when you think back to that series. Do you think that, that swung the series in any way or altered it in any way? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, you look at uh, you know each game individually and, um, you know, it just is what happens. And short series at times where a guy, you know, has an outing that's not you know, it doesn't fit really in kind of what they did all year, and those things happen. Um, but, you know, I thought our guys played really hard. The two-day rain delay is definitely something that sticks out. Um, it was great from a team-building standpoint. I mean, just all that time that we were in Delaware and, you know, it gained a whole new appreciation for Phillies fans who somehow found out where we were staying. We were supposed to fly out that night after the game, and obviously the rain delay all the hotels in Philly were booked because of a convention, so we had to end up going to the DuPont. Um, and somehow the Phillies fans found out about it, and at like 4.30 in the morning, they'd go to each corner of the hotel and honk incessantly <laughs> just to try to wake us up. Um, so it gained a whole new appreciation for them. But just being on the, the you know, it's, it's a compound. Right. And being there with all of our guys, and, you know, it was something really special. When you think back to... The first few years with the Rays, and then that 08 season forward. What was it like? The satisfaction of seeing, seeing the culture of the entire franchise change. I mean, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Um, you know, I don't think I, th- this executive will remain nameless, but uh, we tried to hire a guy uh, before the 2007 season, and you know, for a prominent role in our baseball operations. And he ended up turning us down and said, hey, I really enjoyed getting to know you guys, and um, but I just don't think you guys can make the playoffs. You know, in the division that you play in, the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know, with the Blue Jays and Orioles, I just really don't see how you guys can make the playoffs. I'm in a pretty good spot here. I think we're going to go on a long run of making the playoffs. That team did not make the playoffs again, and then we went four of six years or whatever it was. Uh, so I give him a hard time whenever I see him. <laughs> few teams were interested in hiring you before you actually left for the Dodgers. One of those teams was the Astros uh, after 2011. Was there any appealing idea of going home again? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think first and foremost, um, you know, I just wasn't at a point where it was something that I was open to. Um, just that moment in time and... Uh, I loved everything about my experience with the Rays, the people that I worked with. Um, 
the people that I worked for. And so it was something to me that, uh, you know, it wasn't really front of mind and it wasn't something that I was looking for or necessarily chasing. Uh, and I just wasn't at a point at that time uh, to really seriously entertain anything. Um, you know, obviously three years later, uh, things were a little bit different, but you know, I just wasn't at a point then. Three years later, you joined the, the Dodgers as president of baseball operations after the 2014 season. I guess what was the toughest thing about leaving the race for L.A. after so much time in Tampa Bay? And at the same time, was it exciting to take this job and sort of jump right in and start, or you jumped right at the beginning of the offseason to start molding the team in the fashion that you would hope to? Yeah, I mean, I'd almost gotten to the point, and I think losing my edge or being complacent is something that terrifies me in general. Uh, and I'd gotten to the point where I almost felt like I was losing my edge a little bit. And I was, I don't want to say complacent, but it scared me that that was what was kind of happening. And so the thing that was intriguing about the Dodgers was, you know, I didn't fully even understand the CBT at that point. And it would just require me to rethink everything. And so it was kind of throwing me in the deep end and, you know, making me uncomfortable in that I had to kind of rethink a lot of different things and figure out what principles kind of hold and what things we want to do a little bit differently. Um, and so I think it was just, you know, taking my snow globe and shaking it up and then hoping, you know, things kind of fell back in place. I mean, you joke about not even understanding the CBT because it was something you never had to deal with in Tampa. But when you got hired, everybody's first, a lot of people's first reaction was, wow, small market Andrew Friedman with $200 million, this is going to be awesome to watch. There, are, I assume it's different pressures being trying to win with a small payroll in Tampa Bay and being expected to win with a big payroll in Los Angeles? Yeah, I mean, I think you know so much of that is kind of the outside narrative. Um, you know, every year when you come to spring training, every offseason as you're kind of rounding out your roster and going through that roster construction phase, I want the expectations to be there. Uh, and whether it's from the outside in or whether it's from us, um, you know, that's always been my mindset. You know, I remember at the end of the 2006 season, um, Terry Ryan resigned. And I watched the press conference and he talked about how he'd gotten to a point in his career where the wins weren't as meaningful and the losses were staying with him for a longer period of time. And I remember thinking, wow, this is where Terry Ryan got at this point. I just went through my first season. I knew we were going to be terrible, and I'm already there. <laughs> like wins I kind of glossed over and losses right. would stick with me, and I knew we weren't going to be very good. Um, so I was scared as I looked ahead at that point. When you... Uh when you come to a team like the Dodgers and you have the financial resources, is the biggest advantage of having financial resources the ability to retain your own players more, maybe more than going out and writing checks to free agents? You think about the Yankees dynasty, you know, the Jeter years. It was not only that they developed guys like Jeter and Rivera and Pettit, but they were able to keep them for their, right. you know, all or most of their careers. For sure. I think uh, the knowledge you gain about your own players and just being around them every day and you know, having that, uh, you know, level of insight is something that, 
uh, you know, to then be in position to retain the ones that you want to bet on, it's definitely uh, a, a real advantage. You know, I think one benefit that a small revenue team has that, you know, we really did well is if you think about it like a doctor, we were able to focus in on one area. Like we knew everything about the knee and we're way more proficient on the knee or at the knee than anyone else. Now with the Dodgers, we have to know the entire body. Right. And so it requires a lot more people. It requires, you know, a lot more processes and it's challenging. It's challenging to have a really good feel you know, for the amateur markets, for all the free agents, for, you know, potential trade tar, you know, all the different aspects that you really want to be on top of that we didn't have to with the Rays. There are large segments of the market that we didn't really have to spend much time thinking about. You've had a lot of success in Los Angeles already, first three seasons. You guys have a great run in 2017, get to the World Series, great World Series, but you lose Game 7. Uh, after about a week after Game Seven, you said, "I'm not sure I'll ever get over it." We're a bunch of months removed now. Is that still the case? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I ever will, um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, you know, I think there were so many positives that happened uh, last season that five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, as I look back on the 2017 season, it's going to be filled with tremendous memories. Um, great experiences, um, you know, going through that regular season and into the postseason and just the relationship building and all the different, you know, stories that I can recount uh, is nothing but, you know, but good. Uh, obviously, it came up short of our ultimate uh, goal, and that will always be there, uh, but I won't let that that game seven, you know, just kind of cloud the entire season and all that was good from it. A few more for you. you you've been a very forward-thinking guy uh, in terms of analytics, in terms of sports science, whatever area you think there's a, a, a way to get a competitive edge, you've gone for it and you've really, you know, dedicated the time and staff to figuring things out. Is it ever hard to get your players to buy into things, analytics, sports science, mental skills, whatever it may be? Players, we all know, they're creatures of habit. Is that the hardest part, is getting the players to buy into some things that you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's on a case-by-case basis. I, you know, we certainly have some players that have an insatiable thirst for information. And we have others that are a little bit more closed off to it. And I think it's important for us to appreciate each individual and uh, how their mind works and what makes them feel the most prepared and then help fill that. And so we definitely do not force things on guys. It's more of an education of here's what's available. And when a guy's struggling, it's, hey, do you want us to you know, do a deeper dive and get into things? And the guys that want it, great. And the guys that don't, it wouldn't even land with them, even if we tried to, if they're not really open-minded to it. Um, so I think it's about establishing relationships, having trust, and then being there and being as helpful as we can with the information, which is what I think the benefit of it is in the first place, whether it's, you know, you know, kind of shining a fog light for us on a player who may be having a down season and really getting under the hood uh, on things that are, you know, more of a problem as we kind of look ahead, 
whereas other guys it's more just noise and it's helpful to some players to know that and it's also helpful to us in the selection process. Your front office has a number of guys who have been GMs in the big leagues and that's even after losing Alex Anthopoulos to the Braves. I've heard the joke is if you look at the GM's parking spot, there's seven cars stacked up on each other. What's it like to have that kind of experience and these kinds of people working together with you? Yeah, I mean, Josh, Farhan, and I obviously uh, all work very closely together, and it's helpful in that we're able to kind of divide and conquer um, and not have a lot of redundancy uh, in any one area, and it allows us to kind of focus on you know, a lot of things at one time. Um, obviously, uh, you know, Jerry uh, is someone that I've worked with for a long time and have a lot of respect for. You know, he spends a lot of time going through our farm system and, you know, being around our staff there and getting a feel for our own players. Um, but it's kind of less in the day-to-day rhythm of things at this point, but it's still an extremely helpful role. And, you know, he's still someone that I really like to lean on. Um, but, I mean, the most important thing is we're all approaching this with no ego. It's all about doing anything and everything we can to put us in position to uh, you know, have the best chance to win a championship in that year, but also be well positioned for future years. One out of left field before we finish up. I saw last year you said your goal was to meet Larry David. Has that happened yet? It hasn't. Oh. No, but Maybe I love the, the World Series. Series. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, the Dodger Stadium episode is one of the best episodes they've ever Agreed. had. That's great. And it uh, got a guy off uh, for murder. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, what better show is that? Exactly. Uh, last one. You've put together two pennant winners in two different places at this point. Is that final step, winning that World Series, is that what drives you every day, or is there something else? Um, I think the thing that is most satisfying to me in what I do is who I work with and that camaraderie, that uh day-to-day back and forth of you know the sacrifices that we all make and you know just kind of all rolling up our sleeves together um and the celebrations of you know the champagne celebrations where you get to let out um you know those are the things that really stick with me in the memories obviously winning a multiple championships or winning a championship and then hopefully multiple championships is obviously the ultimate um but I wouldn't trade the satisfaction I get from the kind of rhythm on a day-to-day basis and the people that I work with for that, but they're not mutually exclusive. So having that in place, winning championships with the people you really enjoy working with um, is something that I imagine uh, will, be, will be incredibly sweet and uh, it's certainly something that uh, you know, is front of mind. Andrew Freeman, Dodgers President of Baseball Operations. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to Andrew Friedman for taking the time to sit down for this week's episode of Executive Access. For our next episode, I'll sit down with Houston Astros Senior Director of Baseball Operations, Brandon Taubman. We'll discuss his business background, Jeff Luno's impact on his career, the analytics revolution, and how it helped the Astros become World Series champions. You can search for Executive Access on Apple Podcasts, Art19, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and enjoy these conversations all season long. If you like what you hear, leave us a review while you're at it. We always appreciate those. And be sure to spread the word and tell all the baseball fans in your life about Executive Access. Until next time, I'm Mark Feinsand. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.